moment now she had come, he stuck close to her, bristling with a small boy's pride of her, for no other woman looked such a lady as she did, in her little black bonnet and her cloak. She smiled when she saw women she knew. When she was tired, she said to her son, Well, are you coming now, or later? What are you going already for? he lamented. You needn't come if you don't want, she said, and she went slowly away with her little girl. As she crossed the open ground in front of the moon and stars, she heard men shouting and smelled the beer, and hurried a little, thinking her husband was probably in the bar. At about half-past six, her son came home, tired now, rather pale and somewhat wretched. Since she had gone, he had not enjoyed his wakes. "'Has my dad been?' he asked. "'No,' said the mother. "'He's helping to wait at the moon and stars. I seed him with his sleeves rolled up. "'Huh!' exclaimed the mother shortly. "'He's got no money, and he'll be satisfied if he gets his allowance whether they give him more or not.' Mrs. Morell was alone, but she was used to it. Her son and her little girl slept upstairs, so it seemed her home was there behind her, fixed and stable. But she felt wretched with the coming child. The world seemed a dreary place where nothing else would happen for her, at least until William grew up. But for herself, nothing but this dreary endurance. This coming child was too much for her. If it were not for William and Annie, she was sick of it, the struggle with poverty and ugliness and meanness. She went into the front garden, a small square with a privet hedge. There she stood, trying to soothe herself with the scent of flowers and the fading, beautiful evening. Opposite her small gate was the stile that led uphill, under the tall hedge between the burning glow of the cut pastures. As it grew dark, a ruddy glare came out on the hilltop, and out of the glare the diminished commotion of the fair. She went indoors, wondering if things were never going to alter. She was beginning by now to realise that they would not. She seemed so far away from her girlhood, she wondered if it were the same person walking heavily up the back garden at the bottoms as had run so lightly on the breakwater at Sheerness ten years before. Then she straightened the kitchen, lit the lamp, mended the fire, looked out the washing for the next day and put it to soak, after which she sat down to her sewing. At half-past eleven her husband came. His cheeks were very red and very shiny above his black moustache. His head nodded slightly. He was pleased with himself. Oh, 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 waiting for me, lass. I've been helping Anthony, and what's think he's gen me? No, but a lousy half-crown, and that's every penny. He thinks you've made the rest up in beer, she said shortly. And I haven't. That I haven't, you believe me. I've had very little this day, I haven't all. His voice went tender. Here. And I broke thee a bit of brandy snap, and a coconut for children. He chattered on. Mrs. Morell, very tired and sick of his babble, went to bed as quickly as possible while he raked the fire. Mrs. Morell came of a good old burger family, famous independents who had fought with Colonel Hutchinson, and who remained stout congregationalists. Her grandfather had gone bankrupt in the lace market at a time when so many lace manufacturers were ruined in Nottingham. Her father, George Coppard, was an engineer, a large, handsome, haughty man, proud of his fair skin and blue eyes, but more proud still of his integrity. 
Gertrude resembled her mother in her small build, but her temper, proud and unyielding, she had from the Coppards. George Coppard was bitterly galled by his own poverty. He became foreman of the engineers in the dockyard at Sheerness. Mrs. Morell, Gertrude, was the second daughter. She favoured her mother, loved her mother best of all, but she had the Coppards' clear, defiant blue eyes and their broad brow. At twenty, owing to her health, she had left Sheerness. When she was twenty-three years old, she met, at a Christmas party, a young man from the Erewash Valley. Morell was then twenty-seven years old. He was well set up, erect, and very smart. He had wavy black hair that shone again, and a vigorous black beard that had never been shaved. His cheeks were ruddy, and his red, moist mouth was noticeable because he laughed so often, so heartily. He had that rare thing, a rich, ringing laugh.